Hey guys, uh, today's episode is going to be a little bit different. I was actually a guest on a really good friend's podcast and we actually discussed a case that I've already covered. So I am taking that case and I'm going to share it on my podcast as well. So you guys get all that juicy content. Um, this particular case that we talk about is the Richardson murder. Um, if you don't know, it is the, uh, Jasmine Richardson and Jeremy Steinke murder. So the host of the podcast is a good friend of mine named Dylan Eckes, and the podcast is actually called Dumbbells and Whiskey. Um, It is a great, great podcast with amazing guests and amazing content, and so I wanted to share this episode uh, in case you guys are looking for another podcast to listen to as well, uh, as well as we are talking true crime, so it is a good fit. Um, But I just wanted to preface with the fact that this might sound like a little bit different of a podcast episode. Um, I am recording a new episode tomorrow as well for my scheduled Thursday upload. Um, But yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this podcast and go give them a follow. Hey Northerners, a listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature. The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Northern Blood podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to DBW Podcast. I'm Dylan Eckes. I have a very special guest today. Uh, we are going to talk about something that is something I wanted to talk about with somebody else for quite a long time. Uh, tonight on the line, I have Jen Ball. Jen is the godmother to my baby twins. She is a mom of two. She's a professional photographer, and she also has two podcasts. So uh, tell us about your podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, so I have two very different podcasts, (laughs) but yeah, like Dylan said, I'm a mom of two crazy boys and, um, my husband and my brother-in-law have already been on the podcast here with Dylan. So I'm the last one. I don't know if I'm least important or, you know, how that works, but you know, I'm not offended. It's no, uh, no offense to the boys, (laughs) but this is going to be my favorite one. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) Um, and yeah, so I have, I'm a professional photographer. I have a business here in Calgary and, uh, yeah, my podcast, I basically have one that focuses on kind of moms and business and all the things that go along with that called coffee and concealer. And then I just started uh, Northern blood podcast and it is basically all true crime, not necessarily all Canadian, but a lot of Canadian true crime. So yeah. That's awesome. So what made you want to get into podcasting and specifically true crime? Because that's, for, for me, that's an awesome topic. I love Mindhunter. I've watched NCIS. I've watched yeah. Minds, all of that. So oh gosh, tell me what, what, uh, what brought you into the true crime world? I've always been fascinated. It started with, and it's funny that you asked because I actually found, and I'm just going to hold it up. No one will see this, but this is like one of my OG, I don't know if you've ever heard of Max Haynes. Okay. But he is like one of the original crime kind of guys he always had a Sunday column in the sun Mm -hmm. and it would be one case and it would like I always was fascinated with reading them um and then yeah when I was like sounds so crazy but when I was the age of the person we're going to talk about was when it really kicked in and I was like I just love it like 
it's creepy. It sounds really weird. Like I shouldn't be obsessed with it, but I totally am. Um, I think I listen to every true crime podcast out there and I'm obsessed with the shows that you're talking about, like Lieutenant Joe Kenda, like all those guys. Yeah. <laughs> obsessed with all of them. Like my husband and I always joke that, you know, like we know how to kill each other if we really want to because of all of the criminology we have in our heads now. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. I went to police and security school. Like I went to college for police and security and I was the application, the way they taught it, I really didn't like the way they taught it, but the actual understanding for me came from like, uh, you know, Tom Clancy novels about war. And then it slowly morphed into my mom always watching, um, uh, CIS. Is that the show? CSI. Um, and then of course, when I became an adult, I was obsessed with criminal minds. Uh, and so are you into novels and everything like that as well? Or are you more? Yeah, I, a lot of like books as kids, I think, unfortunately, like, especially in my busy segment of life that I'm in right now, podcasting is how I think I digest a lot of my true crime because mm-hmm. I can do it when I'm driving with kids in the car and all that stuff. And prior to this craziness, like, in between preschool drop-off and all the things. And so podcasting is a big one. Um, obviously a lot of reading online and things like that. Um, and I'm trying to pick up some of these old books again, because I feel like I need refreshers and things like that, but also TV shows. Like a lot of them are good, right? A lot of Netflix documentaries, like we just watched Waco. How was and, it? Oh my gosh. I was like, not a lot of things get me. I feel like I have no heart, <laughs> but I was like, hands on face, like shocked, like, Oh, it's really good. Like it's crazy that I didn't know that that whole thing had happened. It's definitely on my list of shows to watch. And it's funny when you go onto my Netflix account, it's like gangster movies, crime movies, and yeah, shows like Mindhunter and Waco. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that. So the episode that we're going to get into today, uh, hits home for me because I personally knew who this person was growing up and the, the, the crime that we're going to get into, I guess you could say crime because it's not just a murder. It's a whole scenario of how this unfolded um, is about Jasmine Richardson and Jeremy Stanky. Mm-hmm. Um, so you did a podcast with it a couple of weeks ago. We just passed the 14th anniversary of when this crime happened on April 23rd, 2006. Um, give us a little rundown of what happened because you've done a podcast on it already and, uh, throw some facts at us and then we'll get right into it. For sure. Um, so it was a podcast episode I wanted to do. It was highly, highly requested, uh, by kind of everyone that I've asked. And I think it's because it's one that we've lived through, if you want to say that. And so it's real to people and people want to like hear the whole story about it. So basically it happened just like you said, 14 years ago in April, 2006 on the 23rd. And basically what happened was Jeremy Stanky was a guy that, and you're going to get into this as well, but he was really troubled. He had a troubled past. He had troubled parents and they just, it was one thing after another. It's your typical killer recipe. Unfortunately, like a lot of them come from broken homes and a lot of alcohol, a lot of sexual abuse, like all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so he basically found this from what I understand, and you'll get into this, but from what I understand, she was a pretty good girl growing up. Um, And unfortunately I think she just got entangled with him and they connected. And when you're 12, I guess you think that whoever you're with is the whole world. And so that's what she thought of him. And 
they just kind of came up with this plot because they really just wanted to run away and be together. And basically what happened was she, I don't know if she convinced him or he convinced her how it happened, but basically she murdered her little brother who was eight um, while he was sleeping. She basically slit his throat, um, which is actually so like, if, if you actually think about an older sister, like I could never fathom my kids doing that to each other. My gosh. And then Jeremy Sankey went and killed her parents. I don't know what the dynamic was and why he did that. And she did her brother. I really don't know. Um, the thoughts were that the mother was killed first and then the husband was killed after and that he actually fought back a little bit. So maybe that was the, the diabolical plan. But basically, yeah, they, they had a plan to run away together, be together, kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde situation. And uh, they murdered her entire family. So, and it was in this little tiny, little tiny town that no one really knows of called Medicine Hat. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, the synopsis you hit, the, all the great points. I'd like to dissect what actually uh, went on with this murder, because I know, I know some behind the scenes things and you know, with what you just told, that was like the cliff notes of it, right? Um, I want to get into Jasmine herself. Um, yeah. I knew her growing up. She was the same age as my brother. I actually had her on, you know, the old school MSN chat and uh, Nuxopia. Um, what I've known, what I knew about Jasmine is I didn't know her in person, but we had an on, she had an online persona and she was always, she had a picture of her. I remember she had a picture of her family and her and her, her brother for a long time on her MSN. And then what ended up happening is I saw a shift and what that shift was is she changed her Nixopia name to Runaway Devil, uh, which is actually the name of the book they did on her. Um, and then she, she would post very cryptic, very dark arts uh, posts and taglines in her MSN name. Um, and it was really weird. I didn't put the two together. Obviously I was 14 years old. Um, but when we found out that this happened, um, it was, it, it was shocking. Uh, but at the same time at 14 years old, it was more so like, Oh my goodness. I didn't even think this was even um, like, I, it wasn't even imaginable. Like I didn't, I couldn't understand and couldn't wrap my head around the fact that a 12 year old girl slit her brother's throat. And not only slit her brother's throat, but you got into how the two became together. So the way it was planned out was they met actually at a punk rock concert here in Medicine Hat. Um, and that punk rock concert, they, they, they met, they ended up hanging out. Um, and as far as I know, her obviously, her parents were not fond of her dating a 23-year-old. Um, and it goes into when you actually read some uh, old articles from the Medicine Hat News and some police reports is the neighbors even said for a long time coming that they could hear fights and arguments between the parents and Jasmine leading up to this. Um, so anyways, they, they meet at a punk rock concert. Now, where Jeremy comes in, Jeremy, like you said, he came from a very disturbed background. Jeremy was... Uh, he went to school with my cousins. He was bullied nonstop. Uh, it was known that around town that he had fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, and he wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, you could say. He wasn't quite all there. And you topple a uh, couple that with fetal alcohol syndrome. You couple that with an abusive household. You have a recipe for disaster. Um, and so a lot of people thought 
while this 23 year old was, you know, um, sexually assaulting her, that he took advantage of her. It was kind of the other way around because on a maturity side of things and a, uh, a persuasion side of things, Jasmine was the one who persuaded Jeremy to do what he did. And a lot of people don't know that. And a lot of people don't want to wrap their head around this because she was actually the youngest person in Canada at the time charged with these kind of crimes. Yep. So, if not even more, like it might even be North America if you really dig deep. Like she's young. She, she was a child. Yeah, she was 12 years old. Yeah. 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 So with Jeremy, um, going into a little bit of Jeremy's life, Jeremy was obviously bullied. He had FAS. Uh, he, he was severely picked on his whole life. Um, I remember even, uh, I hate to say this, I know people that were in jail with him at the time when he was being held and he was being ridiculed in the jail cell and nobody like he had no say in anything he really did his whole life. Um, so when he found love with a 12 year old girl, most people would think that's asinine, but in reality for his brain and the way he operated, he just wanted somebody to love him. And if you dive into the, what he was saying to the police reports and everything like that, he was obsessed with a movie and that movie was natural born killers. Did, did you do any research on that side of things? Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I, I'm like, I'm flip flopped. I, I think if you look at the age gap, people are probably going to assume that he took advantage of her, but you're right. Um, again, like from, like I come from a past where there was abuse and alcoholism and all of those things. And so I'm lucky that I didn't walk away with FAS based on how I grew up. And so it's hard to like a part of you almost feels bad because that's how he came. Like he obviously deserves some guilt for, for what's happened, but at the same time, like he was dealing cards that he was given, right. He wasn't, he didn't come into this world and choose to be a killer or choose to have FAS. But, um, as far as natural born killers, I feel like anyone who is in that kill zone, I guess you want to call it, has seen that movie mm -hmm. and almost epitomizes the movie and wants to kind of take on those roles because in that role, they seem cool. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like people are going to look up to them when really in reality, it's the opposite. You're probably going to end up in jail. Like there's a, there's a way that that movie ends. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, And he's quoted on to saying to the police that it was the most amazing love story he'd ever seen. And when you think about that and you think about who Jasmine Richardson was, this 12 year old girl is giving affection to somebody who has severe mental health issues and mental health problems. And yeah. in my opinion, I don't even think he should be in jail. I think he should be in some sort of psychiatric uh, hospital. Um, there's obviously there's from when you are 23 years old and your whole life has consisted of the, the trauma that this guy went through. I'm not saying what he did was, wasn't awful. Obviously it was awful. He deserves to go to jail and he's lucky he's in Canada because his sentence could have been a lot worse if we were talking about the United States. I mean, this mm -hmm. is a death penalty in some States. Um, but in reality, when you look at the way he was raised and the way he was brought up, this had trauma and it was, uh, uh, of my French, but NFG is no effing good. I mean, his life was no effing good. And so when you take Jasmine into account, Jasmine was already this goody good girl. But I think what happened 
in her side and her mentality was I found an older guy and I found love somebody who I can show love to my first time boyfriend and somebody who's going to protect me and going to give me something I've never experienced before. And the guy's 23 years old. So obviously if a 12 year old is falling in love with a guy like that, there's going to be some issues with the parents. And I think once she had issues with the parents, that's when things started taking off. That's when her, her planning and her plotting started. How can I take care of this situation so I can be with this guy for the rest of my life? Yep. And no, then you I take a look at uh, the way she was raised. And if she was in an abusive household, I don't know if she was, but by the way it was seeming, there was arguments all the time. So if she was being controlled the way she was, I could see her wanting to control somebody else. And Jeremy was an easy target. Yeah. Um, you brought up a really good point about um, the light sentence, like not the light sentence that he got, but the lighter sentence that he should have gotten. And if you know any of the crimes that are within Alberta, let's just bring them up, like the Matha DeGrood case and the NCRs that they can get, which is not criminally responsible and how those can happen when someone murders five people because they believe that it is the end of the world. Mm -hmm. and it's almost same thing. Like I know that you, I don't actually know if you brought this up yet, but um, that Jeremy Sankey thought that he was a 300 year old werewolf, right? It's same circumstances as Matthew DeGrood case. He thought that this was the end of the world. Like the clock strikes midnight and that's it. Everyone's going to turn into wolves and vampires and that's it. Mm -hmm. And somehow after murdering five innocent people, he got an NCR and he's now walking the streets. And that was, five years ago. So it just makes you wonder, I guess, how the system chooses the mental stability and, and things like that. Like, I think if you base it off of growing up, I would say that Darren Sankey had a way worse growing up than Matthew DeGroote. Matthew DeGroote's father was a police officer and his mom was a well-to-do woman. And it's like, how does that guy get it? Right. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. And um, you kind of, you touched on it there. He thought he was a 300 year old werewolf. Um, what a lot of people don't know about this case is uh, for quite some time, and this is coming from uh, both articles, reports, and people who knew him around town is he was a Satanist. He was not just Gothic, but he believed in the Antichrist. Not only did he believe in the Antichrist, but there are some rumors based on his Nixopia and social media at the time, even though it was very limited, that he was into witchcraft and black magic and things that are very, when you think of black magic and witchcraft, you think of things that happened five, 600 years ago in the you know, medieval times. But when you take a dive into the occult, I mean, everything that he was doing with his life was lining up with the occult, you know, uh, young, uh, you know, in, in their terms, fresh women, you know, young, fresh children. Um, they were going to use them as a scapegoat. Um, you know, when you take a look at the black magic side of things, maybe he really did think he transformed into a 300 year old werewolf with the witchcraft and the black magic. I mean, this case is full of Satanism written all over it. I yeah. mean, her Nexopia page was Runaway Devil. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, again, if you were to Google her name, that Runaway Devil comes up, not just because of the book, but like that's what she's been dubbed. That's that's her criminal name, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, you made a really good point about 
the age gap and thinking that it's love and all the things. I mean, I think we've all had one relationship where we thought it was something that it wasn't. And you're like, once you come out of that cloud, you're like, well, what was I thinking? Right. right? That probably would have happened had this not happened. This crime had not happened. She would have woke up one day and been like, what the, what, what is this? Who am I dating? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, you watch those dateline shows where those predators get lured and almost all of them, like my husband and I were watching one last week and it was like almost sad. He like sat down the second that Chris Hansen came out and he bawled and talked about how nobody likes him and all of these things. And he like had some severe issues. And those are the ones that somehow find a connection to such a young person like her. Yeah, they see the vulnerability in someone who's very young. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I sit here and as we're talking, I, I sit in here and I ponder, was it Jasmine taking advantage of a mentally unstable man? Or was it Jeremy with his witchcraft and a cult? Or was it a mixture? And what we had is a perfect disaster of two human beings that wanted the same end result, which was in what they called love. Yeah. Yeah. And I think had her parents not been so against the relationship or forbade it, this crime might not have happened. Mm -hmm. They might've just continued on. And, but I mean, like any good parent, I think that age gap is just far too much to fathom, right? Mm -hmm. If it was two years, maybe they would have been like, okay. Right. But that's a lot. That is, that's a lot of years. (laughs) Yeah. Even if she was 16 or 17 and he was 20, 21, You know, then it's just like, it feels uncomfortable as a parent. I couldn't imagine my daughter doing that. But at the same time, it's just like, you know, she's of age to be doing the things that she's going to be doing. Now, let's, now that we've kind of have a backstory of who these people were, Mm -hmm. what exactly they did was beyond heinous. Um, So basically what had happened is she had plotted for them to show up at night while they were all sleeping. Um, as far as I know, she had snuck out that night, met him, and they met back at the house. Um, he did end up stabbing the, 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 the mother first yeah. and killing her. And it is true uh, that he got into a scuffle with the father. Uh, but, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night, you don't know where it's really going on, you know, and someone's in your house stabbing your wife. You really, you're, you're all over the place. So, uh, and very discombobulated. So, um, he ended up stabbing the mother and the father uh, 20 times plus. Am I correct on that? Yep. Yeah. And then the JR, Jasmine Richardson, she ended up stabbing her brother and slitting his throat. He was eight years old. Um, what they did that night is when they left that house, no one knew what was happening. No one heard anything. They left and they went and got a bite to eat here in Medicine Hat. They then met up with their friend and I forget her name. I did not write it down, but it was a friend of J, uh, Jeremy Stanky's, AKA He's Jackson. Lancaster. Name. Yeah. Lancaster. Yeah. He's and Lancaster. Uh, they met up with her and they took off and they ended up in leader Saskatchewan, which is about 120, 130 kilometers away from Medicine Hat. And they were arrested there by the RCMP and taken back. What happened following that, you can kind of, if you would like, give us a breakdown of what the sentencing was like, what the trial was like. 
So uh, basically, um, they were both obviously tried as two different types of crimes. Um, Obviously, Jasmine being underage was charged basically as a child, as a minor. Um, And Jeremy was obviously charged as a adult. Um, So that means that their sentences are very, very different. Um, And at that point, her name hadn't actually been published because of the Youth Criminal Code. And she actually was not able to um, even be known. And so that's why she kind of actually don't know when she got dubbed as JR when that happened. Um, because I mean, small town Medicine Hat, like what's the population of Medicine Hat? 60,000. Now, when I hear JR, that term came about when the Runaway Devil novel was r- written. So okay, okay. because of the youth code and we can't release the names of minors, obviously in Medicine Hat, we knew who it was. Yeah. We knew who yeah. it was immediately. Um, but because of obviously the codes here in Canada, they couldn't release a name. JR came about in the, I would say right around the same time runaway devil came out. Okay. All right. Um, do we know when that book came out? Was it shortly after the crime? Uh, I can Google it right now while you continue talking. I feel like it was probably like a year, maybe two. Um, so basically it said, um, that, it was actually the youngest, like the, she was the youngest person that had ever been charged with this crime. The youngest prior to that was 14. So she was two years younger. Um, and so July 9th, which is actually my birthday, conveniently, um, she had just turned 13. Our criminal system sucks. Like, I know that's a whole other conversation, but how does sentencing take 85 years to get something out there? That, that in itself is crazy because she, yeah, oh my goodness, anyways. Um, so she was found guilty of the three counts of first degree murder in the triple murder of her father, mother, and brother. And she, it says here, is the possible or is possibly the youngest person to be convicted in Canada, if not North America. Um, so she was sentenced to a maximum of 10 years imprisonment, which is nothing. Um, her sentence included 18 months served in custody, four years in a psychiatric institution, and four and a half in a conditional supervision in the community. And then after that, she actually went to Mount Royal. July 19th, it was yeah. the day, uh, 2019 was when I saw the article and I can't remember who, which news station published it, but she had finished her curriculum at Mount Royal and now yeah. she's living among us. Yeah. So crazy. Um, do you want to touch on that or do you want me to tell you about the sentencing of Jeremy as well? Yeah, we'll touch on that after the Jeremy Stanking sentencing, because this okay. is, this is, This is where I, when I think of what you just said, the criminal justice system, this is where it's 1,000% broken. 100%. 1,000%. Yeah, (laughs) 1,000% broken. Whatever it is. Yeah, it's broken. Um, Okay, so then Jeremy was, uh, he obviously admitted to an undercover police officer while he was in custody that he had committed the crimes. I think before that he kind of denied them. Um, And so November 2008, He was found guilty by a jury on three counts of first-degree murder for the entire Richardson family. And December 15th, 2008, he he was sentenced to serve three life sentences for each first-degree murder count to be served concurrently. So he's actually eligible for parole after 25 years. Okay. Oh, and then if I should touch quickly on the friend, she also was charged as accessory to murder because she actually picked them up. Correct. Yeah, Lancaster. So she's... She's, I believe she left town, but let's, let's touch on the, the Jasmine Richardson uh, sentencing. She spent four years in psych yep. and then she was, I believe she was, a, she spent the rest of the time in a juvenile detention center. Yep. Then 
while this is all happening, the obviously, obviously this is, this is without speaking. She had to change her name because what happened next was with our taxpayers dollars, she went to Mount Royal university in Calgary with no one knowing who she was finished her degree and is now out living. And as far as I know, she went out East, um, but she's out living among us. And this is a woman, a, well, a woman now, but a girl who killed three of her family members and while well, plotted to kill two and killed her little brother. How does one rehabilitate after that? She said, they said that she is an outstanding candidate an example for someone in rehabilitation with a crime like this. How is that even possible? That I don't know. Um, I know it's, it's crazy to me. Like when you think of her, although when she went to Mount Royal, it was 2011. So only a couple years, like I can't imagine she looked tremendously different than when she was 12. I mean, I think of when I'm, was 12. I look totally different than I did when I was 12. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just crazy that no one recognized her, but again, that just obviously shows that she, her identity was concealed because she was a minor. Um, and the fact that our tax dollars paid for her, whatever she ended up taking in Mount Royal is a little crazy to me. And that again is, I don't know, that part doesn't sit well with me, but at the same time, it's like, do you feel bad for her? Do you feel like she should be given another chance to rehabilitate herself and and I mean do you trust the justice system does the justice system do enough to rehabilitate somebody and send them on their merry way to become an outstanding member of society I I don't know yeah and I mean the justice system alone we can we can sit here and grab a list of in 20 minutes we can grab a list of re-offenders who have been sent out on their merry way and just end up back in the system um with Jeremy Stanky this is, this is crazy to me. While they were incarcerated, while he was in jail here in Medicine Hat, several times he got a leave to go visit family. I know that for a fact. While he was serving time here in jail, while the trial was going on, I know people that were in jail, not the best people in the world, but were in jail with him. He admitted to doing everything. There was no hiding it for him. Um, what's crazy about it is they were allowed to send letters and keep in contact the whole time. I'm not saying the whole time they were in jail during trial, but I don't know, maybe to this day, they're still able to send letters back and forth, which Mm -hmm. is unbelievable. There's no words to describe that. You have a girl that coerced a guy or a guy who coerced a girl into killing three people. And all of a sudden they're like, yep, he can be his pen pal. And so we have that scenario. Another scenario, which I think I don't think should be allowed once you've done a crime like this was he's allowed to change his name. So anything going forward in the news, unless the news station or the press releases, Jeremy Stanky has now changed his name to Jackson May. Jackson May is his new name. So anything regarding his trial or regarding appeals will be under that name and nobody will know who it is. That's what irritates me about that is we're allowed to sit here and allow this guy to change his identity and we're just going to be okay with this? Um, To touch on the letters, uh, actually, I think it was right after they were both incarcerated. um, Some letters flew back and forth. He asked her to marry him. She agreed. Whether that was a binding contract, I have no idea, but they were technically engaged according to some letters that were sent back and forth. 
Um, to touch on that, yeah, like changing of your name, it's it's no different than the Vince Lee case, the infamous Greyhound case. He's now Will Baker. He's living among the people. Um, his wife divorced them, obviously. Would you mm-hmm. want to be married to that? I don't think so. Um, it, it's crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm torn because obviously people deserve second chances, but only if they're rehabilitated and depending on the crime. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think someone like Vince Lee, who decapitated a guy on a bus and not just decapitated him, like cannibalized him and all of the things like, how can you rehabilitate someone like that? That's that mentally deranged. Mm-hmm. Like it's Jeremy Stanky. Yeah, you're right. You almost have like this pity for him because he grew up, with nothing and grew up in this horrible environment and he ended up doing a terrible, terrible crime. Can he be rehabilitated? I, I, I don't know. Yeah. And when we talk about rehabilitation, we're not just talking about the crimes he did. We're talking about rehabilitation for his whole life of who he was, who yeah. he prided himself on, who he was as an adult. I mean, when I've, I've talked to guys that were firsthand in jail with him, they said that, he, they, the way he came off and admitted this to people was like, it was almost like he didn't know how to lie. Like it, his mental capacity didn't allow him to be like, here's a story. Here's how I feel. It was more like, yeah, I did it. Like, I, I'm sorry. I made a mistake type of thing. Yeah. You know? It's because his IQ was probably very low. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent it is. And when you take a look at who he is, Oh, this is, this is a hard one. You kind of want to talk to professionals. You'd kind of want to talk to doctors to get an understanding is how does somebody who stabs two people over 20 times each and, you know, sexually assaults because that's the legal term for a 12 year old girl then runs off with her. How is that rehabilitation and how far is this rehabilitation going back? Yeah. No, I agree. And it's, I mean, I rehabilitation is a, is a strange term in the sense that what does that mean? Does that mean that someone needs to be on a certain medication the entire Mm -hmm. time they're out of prison in order to be stabilized, stabilized? I'm using air quotes here. Um, I mean, again, Matthew DeGrood, like they've talked about that and how they finally gotten his medication right. And he hasn't had a relapse, but like, what are the chances? How do you test that theory unless you release them and it happens again? Then what? Then another five lives are lost. It's some people can't be real rehabilitated. I'm struggling to say that word. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. And when I think of that, you know, I think of like a, a 12 step program, you know, yeah. a guy goes in or a girl goes in, they get rehabilitated during the 12 steps. They've made it sober X amount of years. Well, that person's always held accountable by their sponsor and they're held accountable with the people that they surround themselves with. Are we supposed to, when it's 25 years, which is in 11 more years, think about that, 2031, this guy will be right around 50 years old. We're just allowing him to get back on the streets of Calgary, Toronto, Medicine Hat, wherever he ends up and just continue living life. Like, could you imagine telling having a child? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions with this case. And when you bring it up to people here in Medicine Hat, you get two people. One that are like, yeah, isn't that crazy that that chick did that? And it's just like, it's it's kind of like a movie to them. And yeah. other people are very, very uncomfortable talking about this crime. Medicine Hat is a small city. I know people that knew that family. I knew people that knew that girl. 
I person not personally, but I knew her through social media, and we we we've talked before. I know that's for a fact. Um, but when you when you sit here and you digest and dissect or dissect and digest this case, this makes you feel very uncomfortable knowing that in eleven years he gets to walk free, and she is already among us. She could be living down the street from me and my four kids right now. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you know that? Because her identity is concealed, right? Yeah. I mean, even as, so you said she moved out East. Does that mean she lives like Eastern Canada or like Saskatchewan East? So I went down a Reddit hole here and basically everyone's consensus is that she's in Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. It was released in some on like underground uh, articles and publicists and everything of that nature it seems as though she's out in the Toronto area. When I first found out that she was, she had been released and she was done her Mount Royal university. That's the first rumor I heard around medicine hat as well. Why she went out there. I don't know. Um, Is there better hospitals out there? Is there better doctors out there? Is she being consistently watched? Is she checking in? This is something that I believe citizens should know. Mm-hmm. When when we sit here and we say, yeah, this 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 lady, she uh, or this girl killed three three people, her whole family, and uh, but we're not going to release the name of who she is now, and we're not going to release still to this day. They don't release her name, Jasmine Richardson. They don't release that name. Uh, so who was this girl? Why did she do what she did? And is she rehabilitated? When you send when the justice system sends criminals like that out. We're just supposed to trust them. That's where it gets a little fishy for me because I believe everyone should respect the law. There's some laws I don't agree with, but at the end of the day, you still have to be a law abiding citizen. How do we know that these people who create, uh, uh, did these heinous crimes are continuing to be law abiding citizens now that they're in quotes rehabilitated? Yeah, I agree. So what's the vibe in, is it like a age thing in medicine hat? Like the older people, don't want to talk about it. And the younger ones, you know, like how, how does that work there? I think because of the age we were at, the reason I remember this story so much is because I actually had an ex-girlfriend and her mom was a cop and she asked me questions about it. And it made me really start to dig in and research. Okay. I knew who she was, but who was she really? And what did this case represent? And so when I started looking into it, that's when I started. But I think a lot of people her age don't really understand who she was, who Jeremy Stanky was, the satanic occult that they followed together, the way they carried out these heinous crimes, what their charges. Now, nobody knows those details. And like I said, when you talk to people here, it's either crazy because it made national news and they think it's a movie or they don't want to talk about this stuff. And so when I had the opportunity to talk to you and I saw you did a podcast on it, I'm like, I need to talk to Jen because this case, when you open the book to this case, it is unbelievable. Yeah. It's, um, it's crazy. I mean, obviously small town and like it, 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 everyone says all the time, like no one, these things don't happen in small towns. Right. Right. Um, but they happen all the time. And I feel like had Jasmine Richardson been 18 plus, this case would have been very, very different. Her information would have been released no different than any other criminal. Like, I mean, I think I know things all about, you know, Vince Lee because he was an adult. And when he committed all of those crimes, (laughs) 
Um, and so, you know, like for instance, um, and I think we all remember a case that happened that was close to us. So when I was in high school, um, a girl that actually went to high school with me, um, was murdered, um, by her boyfriend and I have close ties to that criminal's family, I guess, if you will. Um, his nephew is actually my godson. I have two godsons, believe it or not. Um, and so it's, it's crazy to me because he's out. No one's heard from this guy, whether he's rehabilitated. So that to me in itself is like, who in this criminal society is, is taking care of these people when they're out? Do they have to go see a doctor once a month, once a year? Like what, what's the check-in period? Like, I mean, I've never gone to like AA. I don't even know what the check-in periods are for those. Like when you commit a murder, like how are you kept in line? Because I feel like that should be a lifetime thing. That's where our tax dollars should be going right? and not to paying for someone's schooling. Yeah. And when I, when let's say that if it's even okay to pay for the schooling, what's crazy about it is, is we don't know where this money's going to. I like, when I think about this from a logical perspective, if I'm hiring somebody for my business and I'm like, you're, you're a triple murderer. Yeah. How is this guy getting a job? How is she getting a job? Is, are they disclosing this information? And this is where the real question comes in is what's proper rehabilitation. Where's our tax dollars going for? Because if this guy gets out when he's 50 years old and the next thing you know, he's living on the streets and he's going back to his old ways. Is he going to do this again? Yeah. And not only that, but, how hard is it for him to get a job? And is it because he can't get a job that he's living on the streets committing these crimes? You know, it's when you take a look at it from a logical point of view, you have to, you have to dissect it. And when you dissect it, you have to ask questions. And I don't think with any of these cases, somebody's going to the judge or the system and saying, what's next? What's next for this person? And why can't we as citizens know? Yeah. No. And I mean, I think that this affects so many different people. Like there was a young boy from the neighborhood who spotted the family in the Richardson home. And he's the one that alerted his parents. Like, how's that boy doing that to me itself? Like, or, you know, again, keep bringing up Vince Lee, but it's a recent case that I just did. And so how, how are the people on the bus faring the ones that witnessed this gruesome, gruesome act? Like, how are they doing? I feel like, and maybe those people don't want help. Maybe they're cl- like thinking that they're just going to bottle it down and whatever. I mean, we all know that that's not going to end well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just feel like there's so many more people affected and, you know, like there had to have been more of the Richardson family. Like how, how do they fare? Does, does Jasmine have a relationship with them? Like, I don't know. Yeah. These are questions I think that we'll never get the answer to because I don't think the criminal justice system once they're out of the system, I don't think they want to be responsible. You, you said uh, Vince Lee changed his name. You said that he's now walking among us. You're right. How do those people on the bus feel when they saw this guy decapitate and start cannibalizing another human being? Yeah. Like, in my opinion, that's where our tax dollars should be going. Let's get these people help because what they just saw changed their life from the moment that happened for the rest of their lives. 100%. So yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating discussion regarding the, the criminal justice system here in Canada. Yeah. I mean, you know, at one point you're like, what's worth the death penalty in the United States? That's always an argument amongst citizens. And then, you know, in Canada for a case like this, this should be a no brainer. If this guy has the potential, just the potential to go out and harm people again, 
I want him in jail the rest of our lives. I don't care how much tax dollars of us are of ours citizens money goes yeah. towards keeping him in jail the rest of his life. But yeah. here in Canada, you can't serve more than 25 years. So when this guy's around 50 years old, 48 years old, he's gone. Yeah. And, and I wonder how or why, I mean, obviously this is a whole government issue, but like, how do two countries that are literally attached, how are their justice systems so different? Like, you know, people like Gacy or Bundy, like death penalty immediately. And we've had serial killers here too. And it's like, how, how, especially like you have to think about, let's just say somebody breaks into your property and you shoot them. And so technically you're a killer. Technically you've killed some trespassers and you're charged with a criminal activity. That's obviously very, very different than someone who has FAS, thinks that obviously they're mentally unstable. They think they're a werewolf. They're preying on young children. Like those three tabs alone are enough to make somebody a hazard to society. And there's no amount of changing. Like you can't change FAS. No right. amount of counseling or medication is going to change that. It's brain development. Yep. So how, how, right? How he will walk free one day. Yeah. Well, he will. A hundred percent he will. And he, there's a good chance, like I said, that she or he might live four blocks from either one of us. And we have no idea. And yeah. that's what's scary about this situation. Um, a thing that I wanted to touch on because you are in the Christian faith and was how much satanic and occult there was behind this murder. When you take a look at, uh, when you take a look at the ritual occult and the satanic holidays, April 23rd lines up with those dates of human sacrifice. He was considered himself a werewolf. This, and, and here's the, this is what really triggers me into opening up my mind and opening up my brain was, did you ever watch the Netflix documentary, uh, Don't F With Cats? Yes. That case with Luca Magnata so first of all, let's let's face it. He had some sort of split personality, a borderline there's this uh, personality disorder. But a lot of the way he killed animals, and a lot of the way he did his things, when you after the fact, and when you start looking up the satanic rituals and the ritualistic way he did things to animals, um, and then you throw in on top that he was obsessed with Basic Instinct, a movie, and this kid. At the time, this guy, Jeremy Stanky, he was obsessed with natural born killers. Are we seeing some sort of connection with this programming in these movies and this, this cultish activity? I think so. I mean, obviously, as a Christian, it's, it's hard to even fathom that that's something that people do. But obviously, you have to wrap your brain around the fact that some people aren't. Some people don't have a faith. And so they watch these documentaries or these shows or these movies that are just so openly available on Netflix and streaming places and stuff. And, um, you can literally find anything on the internet. And so, um, I think if no one has, like, if you don't have a center, if you don't have a center purpose, which obviously like God is our center purpose, but if you don't, I feel like you can be so easily influenced. And again, obviously no positive influence on Jeremy Stanky's life. No different than Luca Magnata's mom. Like, I don't know, whenever I watched her on that documentary, I was like, mm, this woman's not all there. And so, like, how? Like, I, if my kids ever fell into that loophole, like, I, that, would, that would be on me for not having a positive influence on them, making sure that they knew the Bible and they knew God and all of those things. And it's like, 
he was lost. And I feel like these, these boys, and I mean, it obviously happens with women as well, but like these men and these women who fall into these traps of like killing their spouses or being serial killers, like, you know, even Jeffrey Dahmer, I just did a case on him. And like, he was a deranged person too. Mm -hmm. But again, they're all lacking like something and they're filling a void, filling a void with a movie that then just like creates the scenario in their head. That's not real. Yeah. I agree. I agree. When you see the programming of some of these movies and I take a look at the Luca Magnata case, well, obviously they didn't get into the backstory of who he was, but you're right. When that mom came onto the screen and they started questioning her, she was so far in denial and you could tell she felt so horrible, but there was something missing for her. And so when I take a look at the Luca case, you know, uh, somebody who's ritualistic and killing animals, somebody who is uh, exploiting, not exploring, exploiting his uh, sexuality with men and women, uh, somebody who based his killings off of a movie and then basically said, I'm not responsible for this. Uh, it was because of this movie. And so you're quick to tr uh, push blame onto somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I see these two cases, they resemble a lot. And the, where you see the resemblance the most is the foundation of their childhood. Mm -hmm. And you see, like you said, something missing. Something just isn't there for these kids growing up. And then they become adults. And not only is something missing, but now they feel the need to start tearing apart other people's lives because there's something about their life that is so broken that they need to exploit other people's lives. And it comes down to love. Like, I hate to sound cliche, but like, if you're not shown affection and love as a young child, you have this disconnection with it. You probably have a million failed relationships, bad friendships, like all the things. Mm -hmm. And they're all like, they just build and build and build. And it turns to violence. I feel like, like you have no other way to show your emotion outside of, of horrible acts. And obviously they escalate, right? Like Luca obviously started killing animals, which I think is a telltale sign of serial killers, but it's, he didn't have a good, like, did we ever hear anything about Luca Magnata's dad? No, I don't think so. No, no, none. <laughs> Clearly there was not one. <laughs> and they, they said his childhood, he was like in the modeling into this, into that. What happened with his modeling career? I mean, he was a legitimate model here in Canada. Did something happen yeah. to him? Was he abused? Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of these child models are they taken advantage of. So, yeah. and when I see the Jeremy Stanky case, he might not have been a model. He might, he, I, I believe his mom and dad were in the picture. But if you have, when your life is missing so many fundamentals of what it takes to be a human being in terms of emotions, yeah. it's easy to turn to programming. It's easy to turn to occult behavior, ritualistic behavior. And that's where it really got me with uh, the Luca case was he was killing these cats and killing these animals and giving that blood sacrifice. And you've seen it with Jeremy. And it, the second when I started researching this, and this is when I started getting into um, what, uh, you know, the true crime side of things and people's ritualistic behaviors was when he, he said he was a werewolf. I said, okay, well, there's something else then. There's some, this isn't just a mental in, uh, uh, a capacity and his mental ability. This is, this is yeah. something that he studied. This is something that he truly believes. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go back to the Matthew DeGruy case. Like, 
if you look at all of the information about all of the things that he had been researching, like he worked at Safeway, he left Safeway that night within like with a pack of garlic in his pocket because he was going to give it to all his friends because it was going to save him and them from the things that were going to happen at midnight because he had done research. He had been sending things like these cryptic text messages to his mom and was like, you know, this is what's going to happen, you know, read this book and read the, like, it's just crazy. So, I mean, I think research has to go into it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm going to swing back to Jeremy Sankey for a sec. Like if he had the FAS, I don't know if we know that to be true or if that's just like rumor, but if he did, I can almost guarantee there's a disconnect between his parents and him for that simple fact. And as he got older, he probably got harder to take care of and probably more defiant because there's, there's, there's an actual brain issue there, a lack of development. And That's so I think he's dis- taking care of exactly, exactly. They're just kind of sloughing him to the side because they're like, we can't really deal with him. We don't know what to do with him. He's disobedient. He doesn't listen. And eventually I think like, it's like they forget that he actually has FAS. They just think that he's just being a bad kid mm-hmm. and they probably disconnected themselves. And so I feel like they might've even lived together and, not been connected. And so I bet you that built for a really long time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Some closing thoughts about the case. Uh, some closing thoughts about what we had just talked about. Um, what we're seeing when you, when you take a dive and we kind of just touch on it a little bit, but when you take a dive into these true crime podcasts, when you take a look at somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, somebody like Ted Bundy, when you take a look at uh, for an example, what was that gentleman's case that you were just talking about? Uh, Matthew DeGroote. Matthew DeGroote. Uh, when you take at Matthew DeGroote's case, especially Matthew DeGroote, Jeremy Stanky, and Luca Magnata, when you're taking a look at all three of these, especially those three, and you see this trend, do you think this is uh, a systematic cognitive issue with children not giving the emotional stability and fundamentals of life? Or, uh, and are you seeing that mixed with this sense of belonging to these heinous ritualistic feeling of belonging to these, uh, to the occult side of things? I mean, I think that there's obviously a lack of connection on some level. Um, and I think a lot of these kids, I don't know a ton about Matthew DeGroote. Like, again, I feel like of the three, he probably had the most like the best upbringing his um his dad was a veteran police officer i think by the time the crime occurred he was retired um but i think he had a stable home again i don't know what ton about him um but at the same time i feel like they don't belong anywhere so they find this belonging somewhere i don't know how they find these cult groups like i, I obviously social media I, i'm gonna assume um But yeah, I feel like they just want to belong so bad because there is something. I would say all three of them have some serious mental issues. And so the fact that any of them could be out walking is is scary because I truly feel like those three probably can't be rehabilitated. Like with medication, with all of the things, I I think that they're still a danger to society. Even if Jeremy Sankey was the one that was coerced by Jasmine, whether that's true or what, what the case is. But I think that a lack of emotional support for sure. And they've probably always just been isolated, whether that was in their own homes or, you know, maybe with Matthew DeGroote with having his dad be a police officer, maybe that was part of it. Maybe his dad brought home cases and information and it got to him. And I don't know, but I think when they're young, influential men, when they're, you know, nine, 10, 11, like 
their brains are working triple time. I mean, you're a guy, you, you know better than I do, but like, I feel like that's when a lot of these things develop. There's a lack of support. And if they have no friends at school and they aren't close with any of their family members, they're going to turn to whoever's going to take them in. Yeah. A hundred percent. You, you kind of touched on it and this is how we'll wrap this up with those three guys with their so-called rehabilitation. When when you sit there as a mom and as a wife and as someone who deals with the public all the time, what is what goes through your head knowing that in 2031, Jeremy Stanky walks free, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Greyhound killer, he's walking free. Luca Magnata, I don't know if when he's going to get out, but all all these cases, especially here in Canada, these gentlemen specifically and Jasmine Richardson will all walk free. How does that make you feel from a personal standpoint in terms of there's a lot of people out there. Most are good. Most are good. But we have these people that are allowed to walk free in our country. How does that make you feel as a mom, as a person who deals with the public all the time? Um, well, considering all but Jasmine were all males that you just talked about, uh, and I have two sons, that obviously scares me. But again, I also know as a Christian woman, we are going to raise our boys right. And we're going to make sure that they have a good influence in their life and making sure that they're never alone, whether that's within their family. Like I can honestly tell you that my boys, I mean, obviously my little one doesn't really know all those things yet, but the older one has a close relationship with almost every single person in his life. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it's so important to hone those relationships because heaven forbid he ever got in this dark loophole, he would have a million different people to talk to. Right. all with different trust levels, you know, like, so I feel like, I mean, it's scary to think that they're walking around when my kids might be in junior high or high school. And, but again, I don't have fear in the sense that I know we're going to raise them right. And again, I come from very humble beginnings. And so I feel like that even in itself, like I've seen a lot of crimes, I've been witness to a lot of terrible things. And so I think that that in itself makes, makes me calm in knowing that I'm going to raise the boys in, in the right fashion, even in our scary world. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One more thing. Uh, you mentioned scary world. How have you guys been doing these last eight weeks? Uh, it's, it's a crazy world out there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what? We're faring pretty good. We're long days. Sometimes we try to get out of the house at least once a day so that we're not going crazy. Cause again, uh, my boys are four and a half and 16 months. So 16 months, he's a lunatic. So he stayed <laughs> home, he'd be climbing the walls. So, um, yeah, just trying to get out. We're, we're ready to get back to normal though. We're ready to get back to life. And although it'll be a different form of life, I think moving forward, we're just ready to get some normalcy back. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, I'm glad everybody's happy and healthy. Uh, I'm going to keep you on the line here, but uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Jen. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Hey, no worries. Let me uh, figure out how to stop this recording. There we go. Thank you so much for listening. Every case I talk about is so important and deserves the attention. If you could kindly share this podcast with your friends, that would be amazing. If this is the first time you're listening to Northern Blood, thank you. I would love for you to go give our show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you